Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land and over there at Rainbow Soul, wherever you're listening, if you're coming in via iTunes or the chat room, wherever you're tuning in to today's show, we want to welcome you to our Saturday, August 27th. Can you guys believe this is the last Saturday in August? We're headed for the Labor Day weekend for those tuning in from the United States. But I want to thank you for joining us and and and. and I'm so honored to be able to uh, introduce you to a filmmaker and a producer and a book writer. Uh, um, later on, she's going to be our feature guest here on Off the Shelf, and there's still time for you to go tell your, your friends and book lovers to tune in to Off the Shelf. They can either come in through Blog Talk Radio through the chat room or they can call 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347 347- Nine nine four three four nine zero. But before we introduce today's guest, who again is a is a is a, a producer, a filmmaker, a writer. She's a teacher and a, and a, a public speaker. I want to leave this thought in your mind, and the thought is: the starting point of all achievement is desire. And the the um, person who is responsible for that quote is Napoleon Hill, and he was a great motivational speaker and writer you gotta want something and depending on how much you want it you'll get through all the hurdles to and and however long it takes to get there but the starting point of all achievement is desire and i also want to encourage you especially for those of you who are who love mystery mystery and relationships particularly when you like to get down in the trenches of a relationship and not just stay on the surface i encourage you to go out and pick up a copy of my new book love for over me it's an ebook and in print format and if you don't see it on the store shelves just ask the clerk for it and they can order a special copy for you again that's love for over me by Denise Turney. And now to the guest that I was talking about, and this is somebody who had a desire, and we're going to find out more where her desire came from, to help others, particularly young adults. Uh, so we want to, our special guest today is Yasmin Shiraz, and Yasmin is, she is a director, an activist, going back to, again, our quote, a director, an activist, producer, and author of the books, The Blue print for my girls and retaliation it's a young adult novel series she graduated from hampton university as a sociology major and her works either yasmin or her works have been featured in essence magazine teen people ebony cosmo girl your tango and black enterprise as an activist yasmin has created programs for and about teens bullying, HIV, AIDS, girl fights, and other forms of violence. And I encourage you to check Yasmin out online at www. www. I don't even know why I keep saying that because you don't really need that, but .yasminshiraz.net. And, again, it's yasminshiraz.net, and I'm going to spell it for you, Y-A-S-M, M as in Mary, I-N, N as in Nancy, S H I R A Z dot net dot N E T. So Y A S M I N S H I R A Z dot net. Yasmin Sherez. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Yasmin. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's a, it's really a wonderful um, opportunity to be here today. And we want to get into more of your works. What what inspired you to do what you do and the types of uh, things you do that can benefit our listeners and how our listeners can help support you. But before we do, there's a question that I ask all off-the-shelf guests, and we've been 12 years in now, but we like to let our listeners know, yes, we like to let our listeners know a little bit about our guests before we just go springing into the questions so they can have some type of a connection with the guests and get some background on them. So before we launch into this show's questions. Can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners, Jasmine, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Um, sure. Um, uh, I grew up in Delaware, um, North Delaware, and um, family of four. You know, my parents were married until I was 17 when I went off 
uh, to Hampton University. Um, I have one brother. Uh, he and I were very close growing up, and we're still, um, you know, very close. My mom and my, my basic, both my parents, in fact, were from North Carolina. And so my mom, though, was just very instrumental in uh, making sure that I read works from people of color, that I uh, went to museums and I, you know, went to shows to see plays featuring people of color. And so, though, you know, when I was growing up, Delaware was a very, you know, predominantly white environment, you know, state, uh, even more so then than it is now. Uh, my mom made sure that I was exposed to black culture. Um, I went to see uh, Dr. Maya Angelou perform, uh, I think I may have been 10 years old, uh, when she came to the University of Delaware. Seeing that performance, um, you know, changed my life. I mean, it inspired me to know what I wanted to do. Um, and so that's sort of, um, you know, what my, you know, life was like a little bit. I always was a writer. Um, I started writing poetry, you know, from the moment of being able to recognize words and know what they meant. I started to string them together in poems. Uh, and so um, from poetry, I then started writing books and screenplays and stuff like that. And that's sort of uh, how I got started. Wow. So your mom, she was instrumental, very instrumental it sounds like in in your journey to where you where you where you became where you got to and in Delaware. Oh my god, you must have been in Philadelphia a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking exactly. just yeah. I mean I lived in Philadelphia now in Atlanta, but um for years I was in the in the Philly area. So Delaware Delaware is a nice place to raise a family I would say it's a, it's a, it's not as it's quieter and it's got its benefits but um yes I'm thinking she must have been in Philadelphia <laughs> or yeah, on the yeah. train on the train to New York or some some place yeah 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 I remember saying my mom took me to see like mama I want to sing right so I think we saw that in Philly um, so, like, any type of plays, you know, we would go. We would go to Philly. We would go to New York. Um, you know, for she, she understood that there was not a lot of diversity. And then in Delaware, you know, again, there wasn't a lot of, I don't want to say up with me, Moses, but you know how if you go to Atlanta or you go to New York, you just saw so many, you see so many more people of color in positions of power. That, there, there was not a lot of that when I was growing up in Delaware. So she made sure that I saw those things so that I had those types of role models. And so that has really helped me, you know, to be a, become an entrepreneur today. It's just the foundation is sort of everything. Yes, it is. It is, and you and you you're doing that work. As our off the shelf listeners will find, as they keep listening, similar to what your mother did for you, you're giving to others. Before we go on, tell us. So your mother introduced you to. She wanted to make sure you were aware of positive contributions from the African American culture, whether it was in the arts or education or through other forms. But all that said, that's mom's mom's impact and mom's focus. What did you, Yasmin, what did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? You know, I dreamt of becoming a writer um, because I loved books. So um, I was reading, you know, Judy Bloom, you know, growing up. But um, I was also reading, you know, Alice Walker. So my mom, the books that she was reading, um, <laughs> she would let me read them. So I was reading books that I did not know what they were talking about in terms of adult context, but I knew that they were written by sisters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, so uh, and then there was an a interesting, you know, turn of events. Um, I would complain a lot. I was a, I was someone who had trouble with everything that was going on in the world. Like, oh, why is this? Why is that? Why is this? I was that type of kid. And so my brother was often the focus of my why is this happening. And so I remember one time my mom giving me the journal 
my very first journal and said, okay, you want to complain about everything. You want to comment about everything. I want you to start (laughs) writing down your thoughts. And it's funny, and we laugh about it now, but those thoughts became my breakthrough book, book, The Blueprint for My Girls, because I learned that I don't know 11 years old to begin to process what I was feeling through words. So, you know, if someone were to say, did I ever dream of being anything other than a writer, I would probably have to say no because I learned at such an early age because I was a complainer, (laughs) to be honest. And my mom was like, okay, you want to complain about everything? Write it down. And that is when I started journaling and really my love affair really with words began at that point. So you always knew. You, I got to tell you, of all of our guests, who we've had some guests who've gone on to hit the New York Times bestseller list, some Essence bestseller list. A lot of them didn't. That wasn't their their. So many of them don't say that they, when they were a kid, they wanted to be a writer. They kind of stumbled stumbled into it. But I think that's great that you knew from the time that you were a kid. That being said, I, I would imagine your greatest attraction is to story. So which came first? It sounds like I know journaling, but journaling isn't book writing. It's certainly a step in that direction, helping you start to hone your craft. But which came first for you when it comes to developing story? Was it writing books or creating films? Well, wow. It was uh, creating books only because, only because graduating from Hampton University, I was trying to get into television writing. And I actually wrote television scripts um, first. I actually wrote television scripts first, okay, even before books. Um, um, I wrote television scripts, but I couldn't sell any of them. No one would buy them, and no one would hire me as a television writer. And so one of my friends, and so, and so incidentally, I became a magazine publisher. At that time, I was so frustrated. I became a magazine publisher. And while writing this, um, becoming this magazine publisher, one of my friends said, you know what, you would really do good to, to expand some of your work because you already have fans through your magazine to write a book. And that's sort of how I stumbled upon actually writing books first. Like when I say I knew I was going to be a writer, I, my love, my connection and love affair with words was so strong. I didn't know if I was going to write for TV, was I going to do film, was I going to do books. Like I had no idea in terms of that. I just was like, I'm going, I'm going to be writing for a living. I don't know what I'm going to be writing. I'm going to be writing something. And so I actually started writing TV scripts first and then got into magazine writing, and wow. then got into books. So, so I'm, you know, so when people, my fans, you know, when they follow me and they go, oh, my goodness, these things that you've done. But the thing that is, is it's all writing. It's all writing. Yeah. And I love magazines. I love film. I love books. I love nonfiction. And I love fiction. The hardest thing for me is to say, is to almost choose what's the most important medium as a writer. You know what I mean? Because there are times mm-hmm. I want to write a nonfiction book, and my fiction fans are like, listen, where's book five of this? We wear it. And so I struggle. Honestly, I struggle. And everyone else is like, why don't you just pick one area and that's it? And I have to say, that's my greatest challenge because I love writing in every medium. I literally love it, and I, and I study it enough that I feel like I'm good, you know what I mean, in these different mediums um, because I'm always reading and always studying how to become a better writer. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. As we go through your, your interview, our guests, our, I mean our listeners, will see just how much experience you have and how broad your your experience is. But you said that you continue to learn, to improve, to grow. And I'm so happy that you said that because it can be tempting to to achieve something and think you know it well and nobody else can show you anything or teach you anything. But regardless of what we're doing, we can always improve. And, I mean, I've been at this a long time, and I still keep studying and learning. And, And also the forms change because, you know, years ago, 
it, it was there were print books, and the style of writing was different. Now they you, they're looking at your flight score, reading scores, and that wasn't around years ago. And you've got to write for the, the uh, different formats, including social media and web copy, and the format is different than what you would do in a novel. It just changed so much. You have to keep uh, a learning and growing. Now, at your website, Yasmin, you share that you create media for a living. I wanted to ask you, what does what does that entail? What does that mean, creating media? Okay, well, media could be documentaries. It could be web series. It could be um, films. So media and, and books as well as a form of media. And so say, for example, um, for Washington, D.C., the Department of Mental Health, I created a teen suicide prevention web series for them. Wow. So that would be a form of media. And so basically what happened is that they had seen a short film that I created on teen bullying, and they contacted me and said, hey, we have a grant. Would you be willing to work with our youth doing a teen suicide prevention piece? And so I, you know, because I have received letters over the years from teens who have wanted to commit suicide and things of that nature, mm. I um, I immediately started scripting and writing down ideas of, okay, what can I do, you know, to make this come to life? And because I write books, the youth would already sort of connect to me a little bit. And so mm-hmm. that would be a form of media that I created. They, you know, hired me again to do a short film, um, which is a six-minute-long film with three teens. Two had committed suicide, I mean, had attempted suicide, and the other had basically talked a friend off the ledge, so to speak. Um, and so that's a form sort of of media that, you know, we are creating, Um so that would be sort of some examples. Um, the, the Can She Be Saved film that I created myself, I independently produced, was about teen girl fights. And a middle school a counselor called me from Syracuse, New York, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, some teen girls have been reading Retaliation. They love the book. And she said, oh, you know, Ms. Shiraz, they would love for you to come up. And I said, well, if I can record their stories, so that I can share them with the world. I will come up. You know, I won't charge you a fee. I will just come up. I will drive. I will do whatever. And so those interviews with those young girls, with those eighth graders, became my film that awards, that won several film awards, uh, Can She Be Saved? So when I say I create media, I may take an element of a book and create a web series. I might create a short film uh, from it. Um, so that sort of media, because because everyone's not reading as much as I would like them to read, quite frankly, but how can I connect with them if they're not picking up a book? And so I have a YouTube channel, and I will put different things up to get to attract people in a different way. Okay, okay. And, and, and again, it goes back to story and getting your message out. And it's it is odd how things connect that we don't see coming. You you wrote you did one uh, short brief like film, and then somebody else saw it. And how many people you may have helped that you're not even aware of? You're only aware of the ones who reach out to you. So that's a great work, and thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the documentary? Can she be saved? Uh, what what it what it's about, and what the process was like in putting that documentary together? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Well, you know, prior to okay, so I write the, the well. Let me go back to retaliation because retaliation was really the kickoff and really blueprint. You know, all of my work is connected. Is all it's all connected. You know, I don't think I will ever write something that is way out in left field. Everything connects. So. People hire me, as you said in my intro, to come out and do speaking engagements, empowerment programs, rites of passage. So I'm in Southeast several years ago at a Boys and Girls Club doing a uh, Blueprint for My Girls empowerment workshop, right? So an empowerment workshop, I'm talking about self-esteem. I'm talking about how you feel about yourself. I'm talking about confidence, body issues, things like that. So I'm in this group, about 15 girls. Nobody will talk to me. They are ice grilling me. Their lips are poked out. They're rolling their eyes. And I'm introducing myself. I'm trying to have a decent conversation. 
No one is having it. So I say to them, okay, what do you like? What do you love? What do you hate? And a young woman raises her hand, and she says, I hate the girls who jump me. From that point, every single, every single young person who previously had nothing to say to me was raising their hand, joining the yeah. conversation, talking about this person jumped me, I was fighting on the bus, blah, 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 blah. So I go home, and these stories are all over me. The anger, the fear, the violence is just, you know, I'm wearing it like my dog on house coat, okay? I'm wearing it like a robe, right? Except I can't take it off. So, you know, I'm doing my yoga. I hear I hate the girls who jump. I'm, you know, you know, cooking spaghetti. I hear I hate the girls who jump me. So everywhere I go in the house, this girl, these voices are following me. So I said, okay, I'm either going to write a book about this or I'm going to go crazy. So I literally, I sat down and I wrote retaliation in 28 days without a, a outline or anything. It just, I just sat down every day and I was like, okay, we're going to get this voice out of my head. Well, the book comes out, gets an award from the American Library Association. Wonderful. But one thing that I noticed was like, what if I had recorded that conversation where those young people didn't want to talk to me, looked completely angry with me, but then we had a breakthrough? What if I could have shared that video? So I'm thinking, man, missed opportunity. So when this counselor calls me, and says, hey, I'm from Syracuse, New York. We're reading retaliation, and the girls up here, you know, I'm a mediator here, and it's stopping them from fighting. Will you come? Immediately, I'm thinking, I'm going to capture this conversation because I missed the original one, right? I missed that one, but I'm going to capture this one. And so I jumped at the opportunity. And so um, here, so, you know, I go. And this is how Can She Be Saved got started, because of a phone call and a missed opportunity in D.C., right, that I didn't want to miss again. And I, and I sat down and I started saying, you know, why, why are you angry? Why are you fighting? You know, and I wanted people to see that the young people who were reading my book, that they, they had an opinion about violence. We already knew it because that was the icebreaker. So we already knew that. But I wanted to create a tribute to them, and I did that in the form of Can She Be Saved. So in this film, it's a short film, it's 27 minutes long, um, they talk about why they're angry. They talk about really their parents encouraging violence. When you're out there and, and, and someone hits you or whatever, that no one's encouraging anybody to walk away. And I wanted to sort of capture that and capture their voices because they have an opinion about it. And so that's really how that film came to life. I called, um, I had not done film before that moment. I called the Syracuse Film School. Syracuse has a world-renowned, you know, film school up there. And I said, hey, you know, I'm a new filmmaker. I need help. Who can I hire? I'm coming up there on these days. And, and two students jumped at the opportunity to help me. They absolutely jumped at the opportunity to help me. And um, from that assistance, the film Can She Be Saved was born, and I'm so thankful for that film. I mean, it, it, I was stepping out of my comfort zone because I didn't want to miss an opportunity to honor the young people who were talking to me. That's how it wow. came out. How has the Internet helped you to get the word out about your films? Oh man, you know what? I'm I'm starting to use the internet a little bit more um, through Facebook. You know, I was one of these people. You know, I was alive before Facebook. I don't mind telling people, and so <laughs> I, you know, I I have to I have to preface it with that because I don't like to overshare. You know what I'm saying? You know, oh my kid blew his nose today. You're not going to see a picture of that from Yasmin Charette. It's not going to happen. So, so I had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Facebook because I felt it intrusive. So I'm one of those people who was alive before the Internet, so it's been a little distrustful, I have to say, of the Internet. But again, I started to do research and saying, instead of saying I'm going to mistrust it or distrust it, what can I do to learn from it? 
And so I started learning marketing strategies for Instagram, marketing strategies for Twitter, marketing strategies for Facebook. And now I use those strategies to make me feel a little bit more confident in sharing my work. So Facebook has absolutely helped me because I have a Still I Rise media page, I have a Yasmin Sharan's author page, and I'm able to put content on there and I'm meeting new people in that way. Now, I'm not going back to my middle school friends and saying, hey, I haven't seen you for 20 years, let's talk. I am not doing that on the Internet, okay? <laughs> I am really, so I just like to make that distinction because that is a little weird to me. But what I am doing is I am connecting with like-minded people, youth empowerment people. I have a network called the the Blueprint for My Girls Empowerment Network where every single day we feature people who are working to empower girls throughout the world, whether they're in Tanzania, they're in Germany, wherever they are, they're in Washington, D.C. So the Internet has helped me to see the beautiful things that our people, people are doing but I do not believe in oversharing. I just want to make that uh, disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what types of topics, Jasmine, do you take on in the Every Corner web series? Oh, my goodness. Um, Every Corner was something that um, violence, um, battered women, um, um, people seeing that their their parents were in abusive relationships. So, um Every corner started where I was, again, out there doing a retaliation workshop talking about youth violence, and I'm in Milwaukee. And we know Milwaukee has been in the news lately, all the certain things that are going on. And I wanted to, because the topic was violence, I wanted to see how many young people had grown up in domestic violence situations. So in the Every Corner web series, it kicked off where we were talking about domestic violence situations. I had, I will never forget, one of my first interviews was with a young man, 17 years old, who saw his dad, like, hit his mom in the head with, like, a brick. And she had, like, mm. literally her brains. Oh, man, I'm, I got some heartbreaking oh, stories. And I don't oh. want to. I don't want to. I don't want to break anyone's heart this morning. But the but the, yeah. the importance of the work is there. That that this young man trusted me enough to tell his story. And so therefore, when I go out in the community, I talk about this. If you're dealing with domestic violence in the home, we have to teach young people and address those issues. Therapy, counseling, what have you. You don't see that happen to to your mom and 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 be unaffected by. It. And so no. my work helps me, you know what I mean? My work, doing those types of videos and web series helps me to know the compass, where my compass should be pointed, if you're following where I'm coming from. I knew that I had to deal with violence because when I sit down and I say, hey, I'm here, I'm talking, you know, they know me from retaliation, I want to talk about violence. And when a young person says, I saw this from my dad, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't script that. And so getting these stories is what helps me to know where my compass should be pointed, what type of stories I should be writing about, what type of films I should be producing. Now, what, can you take us briefly through the process, though, of developing a web series? I started hearing about them. Let's see, uh, t- I know TV shows on the Internet. You, could, you can watch, mm-hmm. the, the similar as you can watch on TV, you can watch a show that comes on every week. You can do the same thing on the Internet. What's required to do that? Because I know a lot of people have their YouTube channels, but those are short and brief. Can mm-hmm. you, what is the process of, uh, that you go through to create a web series? Do you do it in an actual studio, then upload the film? How does that work? Okay, well, it here it depends on what type of you know web series that you want to do, um, basically. Because I do a, I I was doing a Tisha Ariel Nicole series, which was a take on um, one of my uh, characters from the Tisha Ariel Nicole series, where it's an entertainment journalist, and it's a throwback from when I ran a magazine, and so I would shoot it on a green screen in my studio. 
do, you know, backdrops or what have you, and every week it will come on. So the first thing about doing a web series is determining, okay, what is it going to be about? So if you're doing sort of a news show, you could do a news show. I, I remember seeing a web series where a young lady from Atlanta, and she would report, like, the news in accordance to Atlanta's weather. And so she would always be, like, outside and be like, y'all, it's snowing today, or y'all, it's, you know what I mean? And she had this whole mm-hmm. southern drawl sort of thing, and that's the flavor of her series, and it's a new series intertwined with weather. So basically, you you can, you know, if you want to do it in a studio, if you want to have actors involved, it's really, if you look at television, anything that you want to see on television, you have to create your own format, right? So that's the first thing, your own style. So if it's in studio, if it's on location, if, you know, you want to be in the streets, you know, man on the street interviewing people. So that's your first step to figure out, okay, well, where am I going to, you know, what's the feel going to be? And then the second thing, people are uploading web series shot on their cell phone, okay? So it's not even necessarily you have to really how to shoot. Absolutely. You know, people are not necessarily shooting on some high-tech camera. A lot of web series are shot on their cell phone because what's happening on YouTube is YouTube really, and I had to learn this the hard way, YouTube is really I want to sit down and be in your living room, right? And what I mean by that is that you'll see people on YouTube who are doing a video, they're laying in their bed with a, you know, head wrap on. Now, I don't have anything against head wraps. I just took mine off. But you're not going to see Yasmin Shiraz doing a video in a head wrap because that's just not my that's just not my image, right? But what I'm saying is that if the image is I'm a host who's going to do a video for you every week in my head wrap, that is in fact what your web series is. So YouTube pulls back all of the I want to say superficialness, if you will, of television. And you can create a web series having a cup of tea. It's going to be a cup of tea with me today. And, and you know what I mean? So people are shooting up very, uh, I don't want to say haphazardly, but they don't have to be a camera professional is what I'm really getting at. They don't have to be a camera professional to do a web series. You upload it to YouTube, and boom, you're started. The key is what do you want to talk about? And what is it going to look like? Those are your two keys. What are you going to talk about, and what is it going to look like? Those are the two oh, keys. Okay, so you can actually. That's what I was going to ask. Go ahead. No, no, and, and every and, and and you just come up with a okay. I'm going to do it every Monday or every Wednesday or every Thursday. You decide when you're going to do it, and you just do it. Mm-hmm. Now, how popular are web series? And and are they are they have you found you said you you created one based off of a character in one of your books have you found that they're good tools to market books and other story forms and I ask that because for this reason I'm also do I freelance write as well for major corporations and small and mid sized to startups um, there's so much people hear about content marketing and keywords and SEO and this, that, and the third. When everybody starts doing the same thing, the effect of it wears down. I don't know how you get people to see that. If everybody's doing the same thing, mm-hmm. the, the way to really get some traction is to do something different. Even if it's like your web series, you've got to have some type of a unique angle where people feel like the only place I'm going to get that is if I go there. That's the only place I'm going to get it. So web series, is it something that's become so popular that, it's, 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 um, that the market is flooded and it really isn't that effective, even though you could do it? Or is it, is it still an effective way to, to market like a story, a book, a film, et cetera? Well, I think um, I think that um, web series are effective. I mean, for me, again, because I've been an entrepreneur the whole time, I always look to monetize it. So I'm not really a hobbyist, you know, as the saying goes. Um, someone who just does stuff and throws it up there and then, you know, what have you. Like, now, there are a lot of hobbyists on YouTube, okay, but, like, with going to um, – the National um, Department of Mental Health, the D.C. Department of Mental Health, like they paid me to do it. That wasn't like, oh, okay, let's just, you know, uh, do something and get a camera or what have you. 
So I think that if you go about it in a business way, you can have it, you can create a revenue stream from it. So that's good. If you have an audience, excuse me, and you want to connect with your audience, that's also very, very helpful. So I think it's helpful if you have an audience and you are business-minded about it. And that's why, like, even now with mine, I'm switching from either it has to be monetized going up or this is almost specifically to connect with my audience a certain way, which is going to bring in book sales or audio book sales or, you know what I mean? It has, you have to have a focus because if you're just up there not having a focus, you are not going to get the return on, on investment that you desire. Right. No, I agree with you, and you've got to measure measure what you're doing. But your your work is also just is is critical. It imp, it impacts people's lives. It's not just entertainment or educational. It really can it could actually have an impact on somebody and help a family or just a person. Um, it could help them tremendously. Next, I want to had to congratulate you when I was doing my research on landing your deal with Simon and Schuster for the blueprint for my girls. Uh, and it's great that you share different challenges that you went through as a teen. You told us that, you know, you were, you were finding fault in a lot of things, a lot of it focused on your brother. So your mother told you, okay, you're good at that. Stop writing it down. So it's great that you, 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 you're sharing these experiences and ways to help other girls who are growing up deal with the same or similar challenges. I had to ask you, um, how emotional was it for you to write the blueprint for my girls? Oh, my goodness. You had to relive. Yeah, 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 you had to relive it. I hear you. I hear you. Me and you are right there. You know what? You know what was emotional about it? Writing it, I don't know so much was emotional because that was just me writing by myself, um, you know, on my own. But what was emotional was telling and rereading the stories to people. So now my personal pain and my personal anguish in certain areas of this book is now on public record, and I am sharing those intimate details. So it's one thing, right, when you're creating by yourself, you're writing, you know, you're just you and your laptop or what have you. That's one thing. I remember being in Sarasota, um, um, Sarasota, Florida, doing a keynote for a Girls Incorporated um, event, a Girls Empowerment Conference. Um, Carly Brucia, I don't know if you remember her name, but she had been uh, kidnapped. It was a 14-year-old girl who had just been kidnapped. And um, in the middle of this keynote that I was doing, I talked about, I touched upon um, being raped at 14. And it came from, I shared this story in the blueprint for my girl. And let me tell you, I almost started crying in the middle of the keynote. So, so I wanted to talk about being disempowered and that this girl's life, we were looking, they were actively in Sarasota looking for this girl, and either they had just found her body or something was going on. It was just very, very tense at that moment. And I go and I pull this personal experience that, hey, I had written about it. It was in the book. Everyone had read it. But when I started to speak about it, I was about to break down. So the emotional part of writing blueprint is not only that you wrote it and you shared it, but when you go into physically almost do your own personal testimony, it's beyond, you know, just your words. You are now communicating it in another format. That I have found to bring me to tears more than one time. <laughs> so that's the wow. challenge of that. Yeah, wow. Now, in Blueprint for the say that college, and I found this interesting when I was researching for your feature, you say that college was more complex for you than high school. I found that odd. Has, has your experience working with other teens revealed that, that uh, people think a college is a carefree time? Has it revealed that uh, other young, not only young women, but young men struggle more in college than in high school? And why do you think this is? Well, for you're me, older you in know, college. My, you're older. You got right. Chances. You right. would think it would be easier. 
Right, yeah. Well, what happened with me is that I went to college when I was 17, and my um, mother and father got divorced when I was basically, when I went to school. So what happened was I went to school. They had me in pre-college, right? So I went to pre-college in, like, June. And when I came back, our house was sold. So the house that I had grown up my whole life, I had, they packed my stuff up, and it was like, no, it's not here. And so, and so, um, I went through. I had no counseling, and people, you know, you know, therapists have said, and psychologists have said that it's harder on, you know, older kids when their parents separate than it is on younger kids. And so, my brother, he was going through his thing. He had picked up a drug addiction at that time. Um, so, so I'm dealing with it through, you know, promiscuity and different things that I was dealing with. So I was really struggling emotionally because the core of my family, and I was very close to my father growing up as well, um, was basically gone. And here I was in this new environment trying to be an adult, trying to think for myself. And so it took me from 17 to 19 to go, I am not my parents. I do not have to live their lives. It took me two straight years to get myself together, and and I floundered basically those, you know, freshman year and sophomore year. But by the time I was a junior, I was unstoppable in terms of mentally I was, you know, a different person. So a lot of times people's families break up when they go to college. And so, you know, that's not so much a unique story, actually. So people who struggle, they're struggling with that aspect. They're struggling with... You know, when I was in school, every single year it was harder and harder for my parents to help pay for it. So I was getting, you know, Pell Grants and student loans, and I had to work. So I went from being in this cozy environment where I did work as a high school student, but it was like, oh, you know, I I bought my clothes. So now by the time I was a senior, I I was paying for my room and board, Okay, I was paying for my books. I was working 30 hours a week and carried a full-time course load. So it was like I was down there with all the traditional entitled Hampton undergrads, but I was like a working student. (laughs) So I was having a different, seriously, I was having a different experience. So a lot, it is, college can be carefree. My daughter, I have a daughter in college right now. She worked, she just got an internship with the senator. Her college experience is much more carefree than mine. Okay. okay? Because her parents are able to say, okay, we're going to help you with this, we're going to help you with that. She doesn't really have to be stressed out. It was like school was out on Friday. If you don't have a job on Saturday, I don't know if you're going back to school. Wow. Because you have got to help. So I had that financial burden on me essentially from, like, day one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there's a line in the blueprint for for my girls, but you got it done, but you got it done. There's a line in the blueprint for my girls that says, have people given you advice that you didn't realize was wrong until it was too late to do anything about it? How often, Yasmin, do you think teens are giving wrong advice, and even if it's well-intended? And how can teens and adults stop themselves from accepting wrong advice? Because adults get wrong advice, too. You trust somebody, you really look oh, up to somebody, they tell you something, and you're like, oh, crap, you see later, I shouldn't have done that. And all there's signs that someone's leading you the wrong way, even if that's not their intention. Well, you know, that's why I put that in the book, because that is something like, again, you know, it happens with teens, it happens um, with adults as well. It's really hardcore. Um, first thing is that we have to have confidence in ourselves, and that's why mm-hmm. teens are so victim to receiving bad advice because people who are jealous of you, people who don't want you to fulfill your dreams, oftentimes like you can have a friend who go, oh, girl, don't talk to him because she wants to talk to him, right? So they're, they're oftentimes getting, okay, oh, you want to, um, no, don't go to that school because that person is mad that they won't be able to go to college. So a lot of times jealousy, envy, and lack of knowledge is fueling why 
teens get so much bad advice. And I'm really talking about sometimes from their peers, okay, because they're not necessarily always going to, call, you know, to, you know, adults asking for advice. But that's the, you know, I've dedicated the blueprint for my girls to older women along with my mom who had helped me. And so one of the things, how, how young people could avoid getting a bunch of bad advice and, or listening to it is have you someone who may not be related to you. I had a 10th grade geometry teacher who I absolutely adored, who helped me through so many things, encouraged me when I was going to Hampton, encouraged me when I was in graduate school. Um, you know, I had Miss Brenda who worked for Amtrak, who, you know, was not my, my mom, but helped me. She asked me, you know, you got to stay positive. You got to, you know, be confident. You got to believe in yourself. I have had so many women along the way who were my mother's age who believed in me and loved me and encouraged me. So young people, you've got to find that one person, that older person who you know loves you enough to give you good advice. That's the one thing you need in your life. And I encourage you, a mentor, if you will, okay? For adults, it's the same thing. You know, you have to surround yourself with friends who want your success. I have an accountability partner, and what he and I do is every Monday we talk about what are our goals and dreams and how are we honoring those goals and dreams throughout the week. What do we do? Do we drop the ball? Do we stay true? You need someone in your life who loves you enough to hold you accountable. This may not be your spouse. This may not be your sibling. This may not be your best friend. But someone who's going to say, Denise, you said you were going to do X, Y, and Z. Why didn't you do that? Mm-hmm. And see, when you yeah. have that, that allows you to be true to yourself. And so now when somebody comes to you and tries to send you down the wrong path, it's so against your core of what you're doing, you're not going to listen anyway. You know you what, what I'm saying? Said, uh, Yes, and you said you did confidence, but I love the examples that you gave. And, it's, and hopefully that's something that on your show and parents listening to this off-the-shelf feature interview with Yasmin Shiraz can take back. Sometimes when people don't, they, they might not even be aware that I don't want you to go to, the, go to college because I'm not going. And if you go and I don't go, it'll make me feel like you're better than me. And I don't want to deal with that, even though that's not true. But we all work, the good Lord created us, not whether we go to school or not. But somebody might have that fear, and they're like, so I can't let you go. i got to hold you back. i got to tell you it's so dumb. A degree don't mean nothing. And But if they were going to college, they'd probably be doing just the opposite, saying, why ain't you going too? And so you have Absolutely. to be careful to look in and read. We can do it wrong too, though. You don't want to become super suspicious of people where you suspect everybody mm-hmm. got some bad motive. But sometimes you have to look through the motive for why why are they saying this to me? Why are they telling me this? Sometimes you got to look mean, through, through, through. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree. And just this year I was having a lunch with a woman who uh, hadn't gone to college, and her son, her son had actually skipped a grade. He's so smart he actually skipped a grade. And in this meeting, she said, oh, well, you know, I told him he didn't need to go to college because there are a bunch of people who are co- who've gone to college who are unemployed. And um, out of respect for the environment, I didn't, you know, lose my cool. Um, but, like, a person whose child is so smart as to skip a grade but is not smart enough to be able to become a college graduate who knows how to keep a job, you feel what I mean? Why mm-hmm. is this person sharing this? That is out of fear because you don't have a college degree. But don't, right. you know, don't put your fear onto someone else. And that's something yeah. that when I'm doing my periscopes and my podcasts and things like that, I'm often talking about fear because people pass on fear like a STD. They're afraid yeah. of something. Oh, if, they want to make not- sure you have it. <laughs> Oh my God! Not worse. Yes, yes, and and we all wrestle with it. Everybody wrestles oh, with it. Yes. You, if yes. you let enough unknown into your life, you know change is coming. You don't know how what it is going to be. 
you've heard of like uh, you're at work, you hear that they're going to do layoffs. You don't know when, you don't know how many, you don't know if your name's going to be on the list. That's when we fear will. I it's rare if it don't raise its head when we start to interchange, but we don't know what's on the other side of that curve. But try to keep yourself from, like you said, passing fear on the other people, so you. You don't want to get to where you're trying to keep somebody else from doing uh, something good. Can you share some of the topics and life events that you cover in the blueprint uh, for my girls, Jasmine? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, self-confidence, um, ah. you know, anger, uh, anger, you know, violence and so forth. I was picked on as a teen, and so I had to develop, you know, sort of that self-confidence about myself. Um, communication, being able to talk to your parents about difficult topics, um, you know, jealousy, envy, um, you know, your peers, you know, your friendships, you know, why are friendships so difficult? Relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, what have you, relationships. Um, those are just, I mean, um, going to college, you know, being the eye-colored crayon, you know. You know, knowing that I wanted to be a writer for such a long time, um, made me in many ways an eye-colored crayon. I was someone who knew at 10 years old what I wanted to be. Well, when you go and you meet other 21-year-olds and they don't know what they want to be, you're the eye-colored crayon. I talk in the book about, you know, accepting that no one's path is the same as your path. So the Blueprint book is really about helping you to understand who you are so that you can make the most of your opportunity. Um, you know, choosing to be a positive person, you know what I mean, choosing to look at your opportunities as opportunities and not obstacles. Sometimes you can look at something and only see the obstacle, and so therefore you don't see this is an opportunity for you to do something different. And so the blueprint has just topics like that. It talks about entrepreneurship because I started my first business when I was 24 right out of graduate school. So the, the, the you know, challenges and the things that I've learned in becoming an entrepreneur, um, those things are in there. And entrepreneurship is really about, you know, to me, self-esteem and you really believe in yourself. So Blueprint is just those type of topics, yeah. You better believe in yourself if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Even when you, if you see those multi, well, they have multi millions of dollars, and because we're not money, but multi millions of dollars and billion, a billion on Shark Tank, they'll tell you how many years they put in, and it was lean, thin, mean, like seven years. I mean, of nothing. <laughs> just, I mean, you think seven years? So you—that's a long time. That's a long time. So you better believe in yourself. You better believe in yourself. Now, I, I love how you started a magazine at 24, and you just kept going, and you stayed open to traveling down different paths, that that, that developing that magazine took you down. So you, your mom introduced you, said, when I was asking you about your, your background, you started at the beginning of the interview, how your mom was impactful and making sure you saw positive things. How can parents, what are some other ways, Yasmin, that parents can help teens to find the courage to follow their dreams, knowing there are going to be some hiccups along the way? You know, I, I think the best thing that, you know, parents can do, and I'm, I'm new I'm new in, in, in this aspect a little bit, you know, I have a 13-year-old, and we just relocated literally a week and two days ago um, from D.C. to Los Angeles. And I'm pursuing wow. getting getting some of my screenwriting done um, on this, you know, to, to you know get them in the theaters. Uh, so moving a little bit more away from documentaries to actually television and things like that. And I just told them like literally a month out, we're moving. And um, I have historically been a parent that you know I've kept my business for the most part separate from my kids. And so, but this time I said. I want my son to witness everything that I'm going through. I want him to witness, like, we're getting an apartment out here, witness, um, you know, negotiating different things, witnessing you can try a new school. Let's see how it goes. It's new for everyone. So one of the things that I think parents have to do is be willing to share sort of the things that they're going through. 
when I'm reading my, when I'm writing my books, my daughter reads my first draft, the first draft of retaliation, the first draft of loyal. She reads them. Um, she'll be 20 soon. Um, but um, getting them, she, my daughter actually was at the, um, the, the Blueprint for My Girls Empowerment Workshop that inspired the retaliation book. So one thing that I think sometimes we do as parents is we say our work has to be separate from our kids. Let them see what your grind is like. Let them see, you know, okay, I have to deal with this for my boss. Like that's why when they corporations came up with take your kid to work day, that was a stroke of genius. Let your child see what you go through every day so that you can keep the lights on, so that they have food, so that they have clothes. So let them see you in doing what you do so that they know not only am I the, the beneficiary, but I see what my mom does. I see what my dad does. And so um, we have an artist that my company, Still Our Life Media, is working with. My daughter went out and did publicity for the artist just two Sundays ago. You know, I let her go and try this. Don't say you can't do it. Try it. So I would say to parents, don't simply lecture. Let them come out and have an experience. Let them have an experience. You know, I could tell my daughter about interviewing Johnny Cochran and, and interviewing Diddy and hanging out at the Hamptons. Yeah, I could tell her all those things. She's a little, little kid when I did those things. But I can also say, you know what, I want you to try it. You go ahead and do it and tell me what it's like. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think yes. sometimes, yeah, you know, we control, we don't want them to spread their wings. And I'm saying spread your wing. If you fall and break a wing, I'm going to be right here to fix it. But you got to you spread go. your you wing. Gotta, you've got to let them try. We're still trying. <laughs> if, you, if you're living a life that's you, anyway happy or engaging, we're still trying new things. So we still have to get out and, and do new things as well. So, let your kids do it. Uh, they they will be careful. And how else are they going to learn that I can try something new and get out out of the safety zone and and make it if if you don't give them the chance to do it? Where can off the shelf listeners, Jazz? And we actually coming to the end of the show. But where can off the shelf listeners get copies of your books, Retaliation and the Blueprint for My Girls? And also Loyal, which is the prequel to Retaliation, which is the new book. Okay. Um, you can go on Amazon. Absolutely. Our newest, uh, my newest book is Loyal. Um, and uh, you can go on Amazon.com. It's on BarnesandNoble.com. And, of course, you can go to YasminShiraz.net, and that's dot net. And Loyal is the story of Tashira and Khalil who the story opens where there's a knock on the door, she's eating, she goes to the door, she doesn't see anyone, she opens the door, and at the, at the crumpled like a ball, a ball of trash is her brother who has been shot and bleeding, and she wants to know who did this to you. And out of loyalty, he struggles to explain what has happened to him. And this story, Loyal, is, is inspired by my relationship with my own brother. So as I told you earlier, everything in my life I end up putting in a book one way or another or in a, you know, project. And, and my relationship with my brother has been so helpful to me in my life. And so I wanted to honor his relationship, the relationship I have with him, and draw from that to make something really exciting for the readers. Okay. Now, if you're on any social networks, Jasmine, can you tell us where off-the-shelf listeners can find you online? Oh, absolutely. I am on Twitter as Yasmin Shiraz. I am on Instagram as Super Duper Yasmin. And please come to my Facebook page where I'm Yasmin Shiraz um, to get videos. You know, I, I do videos, and I also I run a how-to writers group on Facebook where I give out tips to help writers doing you know, doing what they're doing. Okay. We have been so happy and honored to have Yasmin Shiraz with us here this morning on off the shelf book talk radio. Uh, Yasmin all her work's been featured in Essence, Teen People, Ebony, Cosmo Girl, Your Tango and Black Enterprise. And you can find Yasmin online at Yasmin dot net Y A S M I N 
S-H-I-R-A-Z dot net. So thank you to Yasmin and to each of all of our off-the-shelf listeners. If you came in on the show late, you can just wait. wait. And once it finishes streaming, you can listen to it in its entirety in our archives. Remember that you are amazing. You're awesome. You're fabulous. Go out and create an awesome day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday. Remember, Off the Shelf starts Saturdays, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City time. Tell everybody you know. Tell in the, tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Yasmin, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.